The name's Bond. James Bond. No, that was pretty bad, guys. Welcome to the show. This is Action Movie Anatomy here on the Popcorn Talk Network. Uh, we're going to talk about some James Bond today. And I can't wait to talk about Goldeneye with you guys. Uh, we'll see you in just a second. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Action Movie Anatomy. Boom! I mean, boom. I mean, boom. I'm Bond, James Bond. What did you say? What is it? What was the old line you used to say? Which one? From the like the sound check or whatever you do. You used to. Oh, oh, uh, oh Ra- yeah. Raymond Kalichi. You'd no, always do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're talking about the old uh, the Dire Straits one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, let's have a go at the single. The song about a jazz band. <laughs> this song is called The Sultans of Swing. The Sultans of Swing, and I'm yeah. also James Bond. Also- <laughs> if anybody is still there, I promise you, we have better impersonations of James Bond than that. Uh, my impersonation was fine thank you welcome to the show it's action movie anatomy here on a wednesday afternoon we're here to talk to you guys about awesome action movies and today is no exception as we're talking about the james bond film that made our childhood like when i grew up to me this was the guy this was james bond there was nobody else i had never seen an old james bond movie yeah i mean this was the this was exactly what you wanted bond to look sound and act like in the 90s and for us growing up this was the coolest dude in the entire world like watching him and mrs doubtfire was like offensive after this had come out because you're like that's james bond you can't treat him like that you can't throw apples at james bond right exactly it was ridiculous it was ridiculous he'd shoot you or (laughs) it was a run by fruiting he went that way he'd probably have sex with you and then shoot you yeah exactly (laughs) Because that's what you did back in the night. Okay, so full and that's disclosure. all Brosnan does in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Hey, everybody! It's Wednesday. Welcome to the show. Uh, we're going to talk about Goldeneye because it hits the four basic rules of action movie anatomy here on the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network dedicated to talking movies, pop culture, and doing it by the bucketful. Rule number one of our show: the hero always plays by their own rules. Of course, James Bond. James plays Bond by is own. the definition of a guy that plays by his own rules. Always. It's I like what he your does. suit. Thank you. Oh yeah, that's right. Wearing bow ties. We are. Yeah. Nice. I like your suit too. Thank you. Yeah. I was waiting for you to say it all yeah. morning and I no just problem. figured I'd just throw the compliment out first. Yeah, that's cool. Good. Let's go on to the second rule then. Great. Rule number two the hero and the villain are always the smartest people, beings, things, dinosaurs, cars, whatever in the room. Yep. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's real smart and, and Trevelyan is his equal. He's evil, Yanis. Yeah, Yanis. Like you set the bombs for three minutes instead of six. Yeah. Oh, that was pretty good. It's good. Are you an actor? No. Yeah. <laughs> Rule number three, the movie is driven by a police, military, or political figure. Well, uh, he's a sacred agent. He works yeah, for the works government. MI6. He works for an old dinosaur government who's just still running out Whoa. the same... Uh, <laughs> uh, Judy Dench would not approve. No, she wouldn't. Rule number four, the movie contains a minimum of one explosion. Uh, yeah, there's a bunch. James Bond movie. It's always yeah. explosions, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, this is a, the definition of a show that fits... Uh, I mean, a movie that fits our show. It's so interesting, though, because... Unfortunately, this is another one of those movies that's kind of suffered from time. Well... I think what we're learning is that the further we get from movies made in the 90s, the more ridiculous the action-based ones are. And it's, it's based on a lot of different things. This movie in particular, and we'll talk about this all throughout the episode, but this movie in particular is so rooted in that like ridiculous, chauvinistic... Uh, incredibly sexist, misogynistic culture. That we the could 90s even do a quick by. run. Uh, maybe we'll do that in a minute. Of like things in '90s movies, like being impervious to an obscene amount of bullets, and like you know, like there's yeah. all oh, these yeah. things that happen throughout it, and like he like hitting a woman yeah. like blatantly before she's attacking you is kind of like it's just like kind of a little yeah. uncomfortable. You, you know, you said you watched it with your girlfriend, and like yeah. It, there was a lot in this movie that was just like I kind of didn't know what to make of it by the end of it. Yeah. Uh, by the end of it, I was just sort of like I I looked over at the end and I was like, you know, Casino Royale is a really good movie. Like it's a cool movie. It's got a good plot and it's like it has stakes. This just felt like kind of a dumb cartoon in the end. Yeah. I mean, like to to, to reference what I was thinking about earlier, it's kind of like your racist uncle at like Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. It's right. like you kind of like it's he's your <laughs> uncle and you kind of love him and, and Thanksgiving like, around and Thanksgiving's oh, the fun. memories were great. But you're like the things that he said throughout dinner were kind of offensive. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? Just like horrible. Yeah. So uh, anyway, guys, that's what we're gonna break down today on the show today. We are gonna talk about over siege, under siege, or properly sieged Sean Bean we're going to yes. talk about our fist bump moments our favorite lines who is your favorite James Bond of all time uh, and other things of that nature so let's get straight into the episode but before we do let's talk social because I forgot to do it oh, you yeah. can find us each at Ben Bateman Media on Twitter and Instagram or AMA Podcast for the for the Twitter's podcast you guys can find me on MySpace and you can find <laughs> no, Andrew you guys, not yeah. on the show anymore. <laughs> uh, you can find me uh, at, at Andrew Guy on Instagram and Twitter. And you can also find the Facebook fan page. You can do the action movie. Nat- 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Army fan page on Facebook. We've gone, we've over a thousand members now. Yeah. And then there's also the Action Army fan group, which is more dedicated to uh, our Schmodown personalities, but that's yeah. also getting close to 800. But I do have to say this. Um, I know we shout out a lot of our members often, and that's one of my favorite things to do on this so, show. So I know that it was Sarah Hussein's birthday this last yep. uh, few days, Happy and she's birthday, a Sarah. huge admin, and she does a lot of work for us. But I want to personally shout out Arena. Yep. And the reason for that is because she has gone above and beyond every single week in making these great master posts, even last week when we didn't have a show. Yeah. And it's it's posts that involve conversation. That she always brings up an old episode. She's doing our job for she's us. She's sharing the old episodes. Yeah. yeah. yeah so Arena, great. thank you so much. You have no idea how much that means to us you'd think that it would be an easy thing for us to do but it's not (laughs) and we we don't so thank you so much because you're doing the thing that andrew and i talk about doing all the time and you're making it just fun and interactive and we love you guys and arena thank you so much for that so yeah so let's uh let's jump into the trailer here uh yes which some people are saying this is is one of their favorite trailers oh it's great for the first minute 40 when the world is the target. Yeah. Seven hours ago, a secret weapon system was detonated yeah, over seven right Yeah. And the threat is real. In a race for the world's most advanced science technology. She's as ruthless as she is cunning. It would take two scientists. You can still depend on one man. I want you to find Goldeneye. Three. Find who took it. Two. And stop it. One. This is six years since the last Bond movie. So when you saw this trailer in a theater, you were like, oh, Yeah, James you were Bond. like, oh my god. James Bond. And it was a new Bond, and Brosnan was Bond. Secret agent is back. We aim to please. And this time, 007 is facing the ultimate enemy. The man who knows him best. Hello, James. What an unpleasant surprise. Oh. 006. I didn't know they gave away that in the trailer. Oh, yeah. He was your friend. And now he's your enemy and you will kill him. Is the satellite in range? Do you think this is a good trailer? And now you're you're like, all right, just give me a little bit more. He's about to be caught in the crossfire. Marissa, how far into the trailer are we here? You first. Kill it. The pleasure will be all mine. Did you check her out? That's a tell. Three clicks, arms the fuse. Don't say it. The writing's on the wall. Grow up, double seven. I think you're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur, a relic of the Cold War. Yeah. You know, James? I was always so better. interesting, because they were completely aware of it. Yes, totally. And, like, that's a dame telling him that. Yeah. I wouldn't think of it. Charming, sophisticated. It's the most honest moment of the entire Chicken, movie. But not disturbing. <laughs> Get us out of here. Bond. Only Bond. Man just won't take a hint. Kill him. Kill him. I need the gun. That depends on your definition of safe sex. On November 17th. United Artists brings you... Just so long. James Bond. Really long trailer. Why can't you just be a good boy and die? That's one trick I've never learned. Keeps going. Everything. Like all the things. Though that's sweet because yeah, it reminds me of the video game sick. so much. Yeah, it the does. music. Yeah, yeah, the music and the title. Oh, that game was the greatest it was. ever. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened. I think if you were a, a male between the ages of like what twenty four and thirty two, like yeah. you played that game incessantly, extensively. Yeah, yeah, no question. Um, all right, guys. So we're gonna get into the show. The first thing we do on this show, if it's your first time watching or your first time listening, is we break something out called thesis statement. This is your bold statement. Your your biggest thought about the film. When somebody asks you about. Have you watched Goldeneye recently? You're like, well, yeah, but here's the thing about that movie. You want them to listen, you want to hold court, and you're going to prove your point throughout the episode. Uh, I'm going to go first with this one and say, I had like five that I liked. I know there's so many. Um, But I'm going to just say the one that made me laugh on the way here. Uh, The best part of any James Bond movie is Pierce Brosnan's hair in this movie. (laughs) You mean his helmet head? Yeah. 
but it's not. But it's like a See, perfect helmet. But you're saying it's a helmet because it's an optical illusion. It because is. when you think about his hair, when you imagine it, it seems like this mane, yeah. this incredible like shape, and it's so just. But then you look at it, and it's like just a normal ass haircut. It's just it doesn't do There's anything. Just so diff- much fluff. And body but to it. Not. Why does it look <laughs> that way? Close then. to his head. I don't know. On the way here, I looked it up and I was like, "I've done this before, by the way. I've looked up the shape of Rosin's hair many times." And, this is what we do. And I and I was like, I was like, all right, this must be a consensus. The world must all agree with me that he has the best hair. And I looked up uh, uh, James Bond best hair, and there was a bunch of articles like how to get James Bond's haircut, the right. Connery classic, the Daniel. And I was like, you guys are crazy. Those are like normal heads of hair that like Ryan Reynolds or like Ryan Gosling would have in a movie. Nobody the, has Brosnan hair. Nobody. He the, just, in my mind, it's like, you know, in that in the Rick James sketch when Dave Chappelle's is like, he had an aura, I seen it. Like, that's the way I imagine Brosnan's head. It's like an aura of hair. The, 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 the chat is really enjoying how excited you are about this. I felt that it was an important thesis to share. Moving on. Connery didn't have a hair. It was a wig. They said. Yeah, well, there you go. There you go. That's a great point. couldn't even give him better hair couldn't, with a wig. Couldn't do it. Uh, well, that is that is a very good thesis. Thank you. It's very, very poignant thought. <laughs> uh, mine is is that this is the most generally, or excuse me, genera- generationally specific bond there ever has been. And I think that for Brazen in the 90s is the only time he could have succeeded the way that he did to the level that he did and yes. have the audiences receive him the way that we did. Um, going back and watching it now, it's it's borderline offensive, and it's not yeah. even cool. He's not even cool. No, like he, like eighty percent of his lines are one liners, and then you and I were talking. It's like he doesn't really do anything. He's kind of the definition of like the '90s everyday hero. He's like, like basically British Schwarzenegger in Commando. Yeah, or yeah. like British Harrison Ford in The Fugitive, but like cooler. Yeah, like in the sense of like he doesn't do anything you and I couldn't do in this movie other than like drive a tank through a city that drifts. But like, I feel like that probably didn't really happen. (laughs) Um, not to say that I don't like it. I just think that like, it was, it was that perfect thing of like opportunity makes the right time. And it was like Brosnan being kind of a nobody in the early nineties. And this movie happening was just like, he looked the part, he sounded the part, he was cool. He was suave. He was sexy. He was funny. And like, one thing I do really appreciate this is, no matter how ridiculous the one-liners are, and, like, you and I, we get told to, like, read copies sometimes. Like, we'll come in here, and it's like, hey, you guys need to, like, read this thing yeah, about right. this company. Yep. And Do you're like, like a yeah, a library. And you kind of are like, all right, let me get through this. And you say it, and you're like, that sounds kind of, did, did that sound good? You know, yeah, does it right. sound fake? But what I will say is, like, Pierce Brosnan walks out of that helicopter after it's about to blow them up, and he, like, yeah. he ejects, and he's like... You know, he's like, I'll do anything to get freaking file miles these days. And yeah. you're just like, the way he says it is with such earnest conviction that, like, yeah. I remember, I'm like, wow. Like, I believe him yeah. in that moment. Yeah. You know, but, like, That's that would never. That's how this guy talks. Yeah. It's like, that would <laughs> never work in any other time period. Kind of like the same way we talk about, like, Denzel's, like, attitude. Like, if anybody in real life actually used the lines that he uses. You'd like, use, in training day? You'd be like, no. Oh, oh like. Lines. Yeah, you'd, you'd just be like, who the fuck are you? Yeah, like, are we, are we. I asked you a real question and you're not answering. What does that even mean? <laughs> you're speaking in tongues? Um, yeah, so I just think that, like, Goldeneye and Brosnan, it was just the most perfect thing that could happen to Bond in the 90s, even more so than Connery yeah. in the beginning and even more so than Craig now. Yeah, I mean, I think it, one thing that you're saying that is super true is that every Bond is super era-specific and mm-hmm. that they, you know, they definitely change and they adapt and they evolve. And when we, last year, I guess it was last year probably or the year before, we were going to do Spectre when uh, when Spectre came out, and we ended up doing Casino Royale instead because we saw Spectre in theaters, and we we really didn't like it. Yeah, we and, were it was appalling. <laughs> yeah, and and what ended up happening was, um, the, it was like they had started to drift a little bit back towards the kind of campiness of old Bond movies. It's like yeah. they were still trying to do a, a lot of the serious stuff that they wanted to do in those Craig movies because they're a very, very different breed of movie. Mm-hmm. But there was that campiness, and I think each era. I mean, I would say that the Bond movies in general have favored that campiness over the years. You know, the first 25 years of Bond movies, that was like kind of the M.O. All through the 60s and 70s and the 80s. And so when you watch this one, it's sort of like this was the first time we had seen Brosnan. There hadn't been a Bond movie in six years. And they were trying to decide what to do with the guy. The, The two Timothy Dalton films had... They had attempted to make those a little darker. Not dark like the Daniel Craig movies, but right. they were a little more serious. And uh, they were like, you know, we're going to make this a straight-up 90s James Bond movie. 
And it was a huge success. This movie was very successful. People totally, were... and the and the reason it was so successful, and and again, we're not we're not giving we're not griping here. We're just calling it what it is. And, it's twenty. And... This movie came out twenty two years ago, and we both saw it in theaters. I'm assuming. Absolutely. And I I, I bought the video game the day it came out. I yeah. begged my mom to take me to Walmart and buy it, and I played it with my best friend Derek, and like that was just how it was. Yeah. And like we went through and played every level, and we beat it in one day. And we talked about the movie and everything, and that's just the way life was. And you know, Matt movies here is saying that you know that's also what makes it fun. Totally, dude. Yeah. That is exactly why we still love Goldeneye and why we're covering it on the show. But it just has it's just changed. So before we get into Fistbump Moment, I'd like to share a story here on the show. Uh, be, just be, you're talking about the video game, and I think it's probably the appropriate moment. So um, I still have my Nintendo 64. So do uh, I. And I, it's packed in a box in my storage. I just moved for the, the last time, third, fourth time since I moved here. And um, my good buddy, I think you've met before, Yuval. Uh, yeah, yeah, He's like yeah. one of my oldest friends in the world. We played a lot of Goldeneye growing up. We played an extensive amount of Goldeneye. So much so that we played so much Goldeneye that this one summer when I was 19, he and I, uh, I'm sorry, two years before that when I was 17, we decided that we were going to have a 10-round Goldeneye <laughs> tournament. And it was going to be 10 levels. And not only that, we were going to sign a contract. We were going to write a contract out that said, if I win this tournament, you must refer to me for here from here to eternity as Master-in-Chief. No, Commander-in-Chief. Yes. And uh, these are going to be the settings. We agreed on the settings. And so I beat him in the in the tournament when we were 17. I beat him outright. And he, and he signed the contract. Yeah, and he was, like, surprisingly cool about it. He was like, yeah, all right, well, you know. It was a good. It was a good match. Oh my I, was God. Like, I bet I, inside he was dying. And I was like, and I was like, yeah, he's he's taking it pretty well. I was like, all right, I'll, I'll be right back. And I go to the bathroom and I come back, and he's nowhere to be found. The contract's gone. And I like, I was like, where'd he go? And I run after him. He's gone upstairs. And he's in the bathroom. He's torn the contract. And I'm running towards him. He puts one piece in his mouth and one in the toilet. And he flushes the toilet. And he refuses to open his mouth. Eats the half the contract. Flushes the other half down the toilet. And immediately refuses to admit that it happened. Just denies its existence. And this is something that... Just, okay, all right. Two years I'm later... very excited. <laughs> in the house that we were living, and we lived in the same house this one summer, uh, he goads me into doing another one. But this time there's an audience of ten people. It's oh, all, the, all of who we live with and our friends. Another contract. Same thing. And I'm so angry and so convinced that I'll beat him. Right. He beats me with throwing knives. That's oh. the final level. And I have to accept the loss. Oh, that's, and the that's painful. In front of all of our friends. It took him seven years before he admitted to our friends that he had destroyed the first contract. That was only two years ago. No, we were 19 in that. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just <laughs> Our a last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It took, like a, it took like, a, like a wedding that we all went to from high school where he was drunk enough to finally like admit that it had happened. I honestly hate it. I hate the contract. What? Yeah. He like, it was, yeah. Anyway, that was my story. That is amazing. That is absolutely amazing. The look amazing. of just like total, just like terror on his face as I'm just barreling towards him as he's eating the contract. How did you feel when you lost, man? That must have been like excruciating. Uh, it, was, it was like the, we like don't compete in things anymore because yeah. the few times we've done it. It's just gotten more and more heated. It's just like like legitimate rift in friendships when like when it w- I would lose or he would lose at something. Absolutely. Yeah. I absolutely know exactly what you're talking about. I think that's basically my fist pump for the day. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, yeah. let's move on to the next part of the show. Uh, guys, fist pump moment is that moment when you're uh, you're watching the film. Something happens. You kind of look around. You're like, are you seeing this right now? Are you watching this? This is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, you, you, you're working on something? Perfect. Put it down. Look at the TV right now. Five minutes. This I need is, to for five minutes. This is what's so great. Yeah. And sometimes they're, they're like, the people will be like, I don't understand what's okay you're like but it's great to me yeah and that's why it makes me feel yeah exactly so for me actually you know what i one just popped up in the chat right away so might as well just read it right uh richard eric jarvey oh what's up jarvey when the russian general takes way too many sips of vodka from his flask during the tank chase (laughs) which is so funny because i called ben this morning or we were on the phone this morning and talking i was like what about general ormov just like chugging vodka being like take a left take a right you know like it was hilarious to me um what is your fist pump Oh, my fist bump moment through and through is the first moment that we see Brosnan drifting in a tank. It was like, it was like, okay, so you guys expect me to believe, first of all, that there's a sports car. There's like a, like a classy looking, like Aston Martin style sports car. And there's a tank that Brosnan's commandeered, mind you, he knows how to drive a tank. Probably and, all the, all the uh, instructions and manuals are in Russian, most likely. Now, Brosnan is standing outside of the tank. He's not standing in the tank in a safe place. Because we know that the whole point of tanks, not to be safe, <laughs> is so that you can see the driver while he's driving. And Brosnan is driving the tank with such vigor, he's able to chase down a car through city streets. And adjust his tie. And adjust his tie. <laughs> and on top of that, pull basically e-brake maneuvers in a tank, going so fast in something that probably weighs like a fucking metric ton. Yeah, they based Tokyo Drift off of this yeah. scene. <laughs> he can, like... Like swing the tank around, and then finally, just before he adjusts his tie, you realize he's plowed through like I don't know, 
12 or 15 buildings standing outside the tank with nothing ever falling on him messing up his hair no dirt on his suit nothing uh, and that has to be my fist pump moment in this movie <laughs> through, just through and through I was like so pleased it's because it's perfect it's perfect <laughs> tank drifting uh, you know what it's so funny because you keep having like very sp- they, they just seem to correlate better to the seriousness of this film with your fist pump and your yeah. thesis and like mine are like I'm like it feels like I'm talking about like the godfather with mine or something you know what I mean <laughs> so my fist pump is actually the reveal of Sean Bean as the villain Trevelyan. I just like yeah I think it's the best scene in the movie and I'm shocked at the trailer because I haven't watched the trailer in like you said 22 years or yeah. whatever yeah and I didn't know that they revealed that he was the villain but like and we're gonna get into this because you said we're gonna do over under and properly siege with Sean Bean yep. He's the best part of this movie by a mile, and he's so good. And like, I love that scene because you see, you see exactly what everyone else saw. You see exactly what all the producers saw in Sean Bean then, and you're yeah. like, this guy's got something. Oh yeah, and he could be really good at. <laughs> this guy should die in every movie he's ever been in. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know what it is, man. I think it was a fist pump to kind of just be like, wow, 22 years ago, Sean Bean was still kind of doing the same thing as he is now. Yeah. Almost, almost he's doing, it's like he's almost regressed, even though he's still working, like he's still working so much. But this is like, he is the villain in a Bond movie. Yeah. That's a huge thing. Huge. I mean, that's Christoph Waltz. That's Javier Bardem. These are all, these are Academy Award winning people you're talking Recently, about here. Yeah. These are like big time. Yeah. Mads so, Mikkelsen. I mean, these are the actors that are the villains of the biggest movies. And they're incredible. And so for me, it was that moment of just like seeing Bean, and I think it is because you talk about, it, I'm an actor and I look at him and I'm like, not only is he great in this movie and he's so committed, but like. Damn, dude, good for you. It's 22 years later, and you're doing the same thing back then as yeah. you are right now. So, like, I love it. I love Sean Bean. I love this scene. And, uh, yeah, that's my fist bump. Um, yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's get into the next part of the show here because I think it will lead us into uh, kind of the, the, what we want to talk about with the show. So, so star profiles. Yeah. Um, let's start out here with Brosnan because uh, I think it's important to talk about where he was in his career. So I don't know if you know the story or the history behind Brosnan's foray into Bond. Hmm. Um, it's a pretty interesting story, actually, and it uh, was told to me originally uh, last week by Jason Smith of oh, yeah. Fox Sports, who I work with on Sundays, and who's guest on the show. And we were talking about Brosnan, because two weeks ago we did The Foreigner, and I told him my thesis in that movie was the worst thing to ever happen to Brosnan's career was James Bond. Oh, yeah, which was a, which I actually think is an excellent thesis. Yeah. And what did he say to that? He said, well, you know, it's because he was Bond at the wrong time. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, you know the story, right? I go, no. And he goes, okay, so uh, Brosnan rose to fame in the 80s with a show called Remington Steel. Yeah. And it's a show, it's like a, it's a if anybody doesn't know, it's basically a romantic detective show. He's mm-hmm. got a romantic tension with this woman who runs the detective agency and he is the guy that, he's like the face of Remington Steel. He's a fictional character and he plays that fictional character for her, for her agency. Got it. Ran for years, was very successful and, I mean, for a TV show. And in the late 80s, there was a report that the next James Bond would be Pierce Brosnan. The producers offered the role to Brosnan in 1987, before Dalton did uh, Living Daylights. And Brosnan accepted. But then the ratings improved oh my God. on Remington Steel. Right. And they said they were going to do, do another season, and they wouldn't let him out of his contract. And so Brosnan, they revoked the offer, and Timothy Dalton got the job. And this was in 87. So Dalton and Brosnan were friends, and they both hmm. had done things. Like, one of them was in, like, a Coke commercial. The other was, like, you know, billboards. They both kind of had the James Bond look. Dalton did it for two years. There was contract disputes with the producers. They never made the third film. Yeah, Dalton just was in two. He was right? in two. Yeah. He was supposed to make a third film in 91, but he didn't. Um, he was in Living Daylights and License to Kill. And they were reasonably successful. People liked him as James Bond. They didn't love him. A lot of people... I actually know a handful of people that think Dalton was the best Bond. Yeah, people like him. really interesting, yeah. And then six years later comes out Goldeneye. And at that point, you know, now, now Brosnan's almost a decade older than he was the first time they offer. Which is interesting because here in this movie he's good, but he does look... He is just slightly older than I think you'd want your Bond to be in the I, first Bond movie you see. Totally. Like, I believe Daniel Craig in the beginning of Casino Royale. Yes. Whereas, like, if you put Brosnan in the beginning of Casino Royale, I would not believe that. Does that yes. make sense? Totally. He doesn't He doesn't feel like the sort of, like, young, hungry, uh, athletic, qualified Bond that I think you would imagine. Mm-hmm. But it's also a different era. So, so that's the story of Brosnan and, and sort of what happened with his career and how he ended up as Bond in the mid-'90s and why he is older when he gets the role. You have to think that if, if he had been Bond in 87, following Roger Moore, he really might have had a more successful Bond career. And not even a Bond career that I think he would have had a more successful movie career. By the time he was done playing James Bond, he was a guy who was almost 50, I think. Right, and it was like, 
you know, uh, Kearns here was talking in the chat about how, you know, when you play Bond, you can't even wear a tux for anything else. Yeah. And it's just crazy. Like, that's a small thing. You know, how often do you really wear a tux? But you think about it as a production company. It's like, do I even want to touch the guy that has, like, these type of things in his contract? Totally. I don't because it's a pain in the ass. And also maybe he's a diva now that he's James Bond. And so it is really interesting that, like, yeah, man. I mean, and, and I think that's a great thesis, and you could have used it again today. Totally. And and you look at Pierce Brosnan's career, and it took almost 20 years after the Bond's franchise ending for him to kind of pop up in another movie role that was like... And even The Foreigner was kind of a small movie. You know, totally. it's like kind of an indie small release, like... Completely. And I, his career, by and large, unless he is able to find a franchise or some other thing that he's he becomes a part of that's like a big deal, his career is in the twilight of it. He's in, he's in character actor who could be in the movie and gets the Oscar nom kind of territory, but not the guy that... He's not going to be in an action or a spy franchise, probably. Yeah. And it is interesting, because like, I know that people have, uh, and Jake Shields called reference to this, saying that like you know some people said that Daniel Craig was a little old um, looking in the first Bond and 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 I think actually what it was was not old looking, but when he was cast, it was the literal age of him was the oldest Bond had been cast, yeah. maybe. But the thing is, is that like we're getting towards an era now where men and women are doing things that they couldn't do ten years later, whether it's having children or whether it's like competing in athletic events, yeah. whatever it might be, is like science. And it has evolved to the point to where we can do things past when we used to be able to do them. Oh, and I think like athletic training and nutrition. I mean, you look at like the way the recovery Craig, and I mean, you look at the way that Daniel Craig looks in Skyfall, even, mm-hmm. uh, and he's like still like, shredded. The guy is like in insane shape, right? And he's got to be. He's at that point. He's got to be close to what late mid mid to late forties. Totally. That point. Whereas if you took off Brosnan's shirt, I think in any Bond film, which I think it happens in one of them, in it's this like one, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's not shredded. No. He doesn't have a six pack or anything. Guy, yeah. He's, yeah, you know, it's kind of like that nineties body that we always talked about. Yeah. Um yeah, so uh the movies that Brosnan was doing at the time was he did Entangled in nineteen ninety three, Mrs. Doubtfire, he was Stew in nineteen ninety three, and The Love Affair in nineteen ninety four. And Lawnmower Man in nineteen ninety two, which was like that was lawn- a big one. That's like a big sci fi cult classic. People love that movie. So yeah, I mean that was and Remington Steel had ended just a few years prior. So he definitely had been the guy on the T V show and then the T V show kind of, you know, it ended and he didn't he didn't immediately have something to jump into that was was big. His career, in a lot of ways, did falter for the next about seven years. Yeah, and, and in between this time um, of 92 and 95, he did about a TV movie or two every single year in okay. between. Um, and that was kind of what you did back then. It's really interesting, if like as an up-and-coming actor, because you go to the other side and you look at Sean Bean. Sean Bean, Sean Bean did Black Beauty in 1994 and Shopping in 1994, but he was also part of this Sharps trilogy, which looks like it's like... An American Civil War, Revolutionary War—I don't really know—and and, and like if I'm if I'm misspeaking, please correct me in the chat or something. But it, it's like one of those like it looks like a war trilogy, like sure. TV movie type thing. And he starred in those, and he was he was sharp in all of those. So like these guys were both on their way up, and they were both doing exactly what you were supposed to do in the early to mid '90s as a leading man. Yeah. Um, but that gets us in the conversation of Sean Bean. And, like, this guy's career, because my thesis was literally saying that I applaud the guy for doing something 22 years ago that he's doing now. Yeah. But also, you look at that and it's like, does that mean that he hasn't really moved forward? He hasn't made any progress, which I don't think that. Well, I think we should probably play Overly Sieged, Underly Sieged, Properly Sieged about Sean Bean here. Yeah. Um, and uh, big big shout to, again, I wish I had in front of me who came up, who coined that term. Was it Kearns? I think it was Paul. It might no. have been Paul Oyama. Okay. It might have been him. You're probably watching or listening as, you know, if you're going to suggest the theme of a of the name of a segment. So uh, credit to you on Overly Siege, Underly Siege, Properly Siege. It's genius. It's a, great, it's a great segment title. So I thought about this a lot with Sean Bean, trying to decide where do I think, where do I think he lies? The first, the first answer is that there's no way that Sean Bean is... Under, or overrated? None, in my mind. There's, I think it's completely... It would be almost appalling to say that. Because I don't think that... Even though like the, the size, the size of several of the roles and the parts that he's had are these beloved cult characters, doesn't matter. He's really great in everything he's in, so he can't be overrated. So the question just yeah. becomes to me: Is he underrated or is he properly rated? And I have to say, I actually think Sean Bean is underrated. That would be my answer. So I think uh, I think Sean Bean is under sieged. I, I completely agree, man. I think Sean Bean is under sieged. The only reason that I want to say that he's not. 
and that he's properly rated is because I would be I would worry that if he got more credit, he wouldn't play Boromir. Yeah. He wouldn't play yeah. Yannis. He wouldn't play uh, this, you know he wouldn't be in Game of Thrones. So like I want to say properly ra- properly sieged because despite how much I love Bean and despite how incredible I think he is, he's kind of like a William H. Macy's where I don't really want to see you right. surpass the point you're at because you are one of the greatest at what you do. For me, the, I, the reason I say under sieged is like Bean is the most he is my favorite character in the entire lord of the rings trilogy and his moment is your favorite moment he's my in favorite the entire moment. trilogy he's great that whole first film he's just he plays the villain but you understand his pain so much yeah he's so memorable in ronin he's so great in oh, ronin yeah and he's he's only in it for a small small yeah. bit you he's know? just such a good character mm-hmm. um he's the part that i remember watching as a kid he's so great as ned stark that's the thing is like it, game of thrones when you know spo- big spoiler alert if you haven't watched game of thrones uh, you know, he dies at the end of season one, and it's <laughs> shocking. And I was so disappointed. I, when I watch that show still today, now, I'm You're still... You're like, I miss him. Yes, he was my favorite character. Really? And he's the... Because he's Sean Bean. He's so great. Like, I just want him in the show. So, uh, and then obviously Trevelyan, you know, 006. Yeah, loved and, him as 006. And yeah, he... And aside from that, he doesn't have a lot of big headlining roles. Those are, I think, probably his four most notable Ronan to me but probably not to most of the world yeah I'm sure there's two others that, that pop up that are pretty major he had a show based around him a few years ago I remember I can't remember like what it was it was called like oh I know what you're talking about I, Sean Bean had a show he, he like on like NBC or something but that's like the, that's the definition of why he shouldn't get those things yeah um yeah, I love Sean Bean, and it's, it's interesting because I think most people are kind of uh, saying he's underrated because I, I do really feel that way, yeah. and the only reason I say he's not is because it's for selfish reasons. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think I think we can be in agreement on that, guys. Let us know what you think about it. Let us know in the chat or online at AMA Podcast or in the fan group, and uh, just really quickly because Keys asked, who's the Bond girl in this movie? Keys Cornelius, uh, thank you for the question. Is it Zanya or is it Natalia? Well, okay, in retrospect, it's clearly Xenia, because obviously Fomke Janssen, Johnson, Jansen. Sorry, yeah, Marissa. Fomke Jansen. Big shout-out to Marissa Serafini in the booth, who actually interviewed Fomke. She did a sit-down interview. You can find that here on Afterbus somewhere, right, Marissa? Yep, it's on Afterbus TV under a Spotlight on Interview. Yeah, and, cool. and Marissa is the biggest fan of Fomke that I've ever met, and she knows everything about her, everything that we need to know about her. We always ask her. So why not ask her this question instead of us answering it? Marissa... Who is the true Bond girl in this movie? Is it Natalia, who is basically the damsel in distress, or is it Xenia, who is the villain? Villain. I think it's Xenia. Um, I don't want to sound biased, but I think Xenia had more memorable moments in this. Movie. For sure. Absolutely. Um, more, if you isolate her scenes, she has more moments that are uh, that people talk about. You don't really remember the main character. No, you don't remember Natalia at all. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And it's so crazy. Lenore. Listen, <laughs> Lenore. Uh, what's so crazy to me is that this is one of those great examples of someone completely disappearing in a role and then me not noticing it over like 10 years that she was this person. You know oh, what you I mean? Forgot? Yeah, because you're like a kid. And you don't really realize it's like, you know, who Fomka Jansen is as a kid. She's nobody. It's funny she's playing a Russian character in this movie. Yeah. It's just like. It, it, but anyway, I just. I love it. I think, I, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think Xenia is the badass Bond girl, which also, she, I was terrified to have sex for a very long time. Oh, yeah. Like, because of this. I have, like, such distinct memories of this movie girl. Xenia! Yeah. I can't breathe! And the way his and face the, looks when, when he, he falls, comes out of the closet. It's horrifying yeah, totally. as a kid. It's so funny. Yeah, and it's the things that are so, like, silly now, but, yeah. like, back then were terrifying. Seared into your memory. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's, I think we're kind of in agreement there. Yeah. Let's uh, let's continue moving on through the episode. So. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I don't really want to talk about writing a lot because what I think is so interesting about this, um, well, Ian Fleming is the guy that created James Bond and all the characters, but Jeffrey Crane and Bruce Firestein were the ones that, that actually wrote the screenplay and the script, and this was the very first time in any Bond movie where they didn't pull from Ian Fleming's source material, which, again, it just seems perfectly fitting because it was the 90s and that's what you would do in the 90s totally you're like i'm gonna take james bond and do this with him because he's just that thing and then everyone would be like yeah yeah right you know and so i think it was perfect and like uh i think that you know the return back to ian fleming's right ian fleming's writing was was important um but also at the same time i also think in the 90s with every brosnan film you could have just had like shane black write him yeah, it would have been better. Oh, for sure. I mean, the, these movies are like they're they're pretty empty. I, I mean, I, I should I should be very clear with everyone. And I think I've said it a number of times. <laughs> Kern's Kern said he showed this movie to his fourteen year old cousin, and he freaked out during that sex scene. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I should probably point it out to everybody. I think I've said it once before, but I I think Bond movies are bad movies by and large. I, I'm 
pretty convinced at this point there's been how many like 24 Bond movies I think 24 25 something like that mm-hmm. um, and I like just I think that like 85% of them are bad I think like there's like six good Bond movies maybe five or six there's like basically two good Daniel Craig movies there's if you can consider this isn't a good movie like, yeah but if you have to you have to take one I don't know I watched this movie again just last night and this morning and like if you were going to ask me if this is a good movie this is not, not a good movie so like those two Daniel Craig ones are both good solid Skyfall's not as good as uh, Casino but I at least like it um, I definitely like the Dalton movies like I would need to go watch them again to review them to really be able to pass judgment same I, and same with the Moore movies it's like I've seen I've seen like 80 I think I've seen 75% of the Bond movies yeah over the course of my life me too but that's over the course of almost 30 years now and like I just don't have recollection of so many of them we talk to like movie critics movie nerds people people will tell you that like several of the Connery movies are really good the early ones Goldfinger's a good movie but overall by and large I think Bond movies are pretty bad so it's not that and it's not even like objectively bad it's more like bad because because we're smart as an audience now and what we want totally. out of a movie is so different that these movies like this movie was borderline offensive in how it it totally is like i mean and thank god we watched the trailer because you know judy dench even says it. it's like you're a sexist misogynistic dinosaur yeah and like the way that you act isn't doesn't really work in this world anymore but then they allowed him to do it for almost an entire decade i mean that's what they that's what the audience of james bond wanted like it, yeah of course we, we'll we'll, uh, we'll address a little more of this as we go because like the the level of sexism in this movie and the amount of, like, the women just being portrayed as objects for Sean Connery to just, like, do what he pleased with was ridiculous. It was, like... Absolutely. It was, like, it was like scenes with him and, and Natalia where she'd be, uh, like... Uh, excuse me. Pierce Brosnan, not Sean Connery. No. Yeah, no, you it, said Sean Connery. It would be scenes with, like... They, they get out of, like, the burning situation. They've had, like, basically no character relationship whatsoever. And she's, like okay let's go have sex now and you're like all right so i guess that's james bond and then later she's like you don't care about anybody you like you're so cold why are you so wait i can't resist you i want to have sex with you again on the beach yeah, on like, the beach like, well, but you were so mad and then earlier on in the very beginning of the movie the scene where they're like doing this car chase scene and it's like imagine if you were driving around with your girlfriend uh-huh. and this hot woman drives up next to you in a ferrari and yeah. you're like i'm just gonna start racing her honey and and she's like, but you're gonna kill us. She literally, he, he, she says, he says, uh, she, she says to him, I enjoy a spirited car chase as much as the next girl. And she says, who's that? And he goes, the next girl. You're like, what? The next girl? <laughs> like, what are you doing? So then he he proceeds to get in this car chase that almost kills both of them. Then they spin out. She's freaking out the whole time. He is not to be bothered. And how is he bothered? How does he fix all this? He just stops the car, loosens his tie, and pushes a button. Because what comes when that button's pushed? Alcohol, because that's what you should be doing <laughs> when you're driving, is drinking champagne and yes. terrifying a woman uh-huh. and chasing another woman. Yeah, it was outrageous. Yeah, the 90s. Thank God for that. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so it, is, it is just, yeah, so, so we'll talk about some of this stuff a little more, but let's let's talk Martin Campbell for a minute. This is the second show in a row we've broken down Martin Campbell. Um, what a fascinating director in the end, and, and I know this is sort of just repeating ourselves, but like, okay, The Mask of Zorro is sweet. Yep, and Casino Royale is really good, mm-hmm. and uh, there's I feel like oh didn't and didn't he also do Rise of the Planet of the Apes? Yeah, didn't he also do something with Edge? Uh, well, he did Edge of Darkness, right? Yeah, the one with uh, with, with Gibson. Gibson. Yeah, which yeah. I never watched. Did you ever watch? That? I didn't watch that. Um, that was like kind of his return movie, totally. Call, and then he went and he did Green Lantern in 2011, which was kind of one of those things that made everyone that was a part of that franchise kind of disappear for a little while. It was Rupert Wyatt that did the uh, Planet of the Apes movie. I was wrong about that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, but uh, yeah, he's like a pretty, he's like a pretty fun director overall. Casino Royale, Legend of Zorro are both. Wait, the Legend of Zorro. No, no, he did the Mask of Zorro. Yeah, I would love to. Yeah, it's right above it. Yeah, yeah. I would love to do the Mask of Zorro on the show. I really think we should. Maybe. Just go watch it. You love that movie. I want to watch it right now. It's one of your favorites. <laughs> it's so and good. And you love Catherine Zeta-Jones. Oh, I love Catherine Zeta-Jones. My mom, if you ever say Catherine Zeta-Jones or Zorro, yeah. my mom will always talk about her and how she's the most beautiful woman she's ever seen in her in whole that life. Movie. In that movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's just without fail. It's like pushing a button and it's like pulling a pull string on Woody. Yeah. It's like that's what will happen. She's very beautiful. She had, she a, she had a really good run there. Traffic, I think it's within a year or two of that. That she's movie is gorgeous so traffic. good. Traffic's great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Martin Campbell's a great director. It's just one of those guys that he's kind of had that one of those careers where it's really hard to decide whether or not he's a great director or he, not. He likes to make action-packed movies. That's what he does. Yeah. That's, that's, what, that's the thing he's done his whole career. It actually makes me want to go watch Edge of Darkness because I watched The Blood Father recently. 
and Mel Gibson. In <laughs> you called you called me in the middle of it. It was it was a true fist bump. Moment. <laughs> and it was that movie, by the way, guys. If anybody hasn't seen The Bloodfather, is absurd and awesome and hilarious and ridiculous. And older Gibson is very fun to watch, so I recommend it. A lot of people are asking for uh, Mask of Zorro in the chat, I'll Ben. Bet they hey, are. guys, if you want Mask of Zorro, tweet at me, <laughs> at Ben Bateman Media, and just say how much you love Mask of Let's Zorro. Let's just go ahead and do three Martin Campbell movies in a row, <laughs> just back to back to back. Right. Uh, uh, all right, so moving on to producers, Barbara Broccoli, Michael G. Wilson. I mean, it Broccoli's was be- produced every single movie. Um, I mean, more, th- more than anything, we like to say Barbara Broccoli because it's a great name. It's an awesome name. Um, it's a great name. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we don't really want to talk producers on this movie. No, it's, there's no point. But what we do want to talk about is critical and box office reception because this is one of those things that just lets you know the times have changed. So this was uh, <clears throat> produced by MGM. It cost $60 million to make. It was released in November of 1995. It grossed $106 million domestic for an additional $245 million worldwide for a grand total of $352 million, which is basically uh, multiplying its budget by six times. And it got $26 million its opening weekend at number one. It's got a 7.2 on IMDb. It is rated 78% by all critics, 67% by top, and 83 by audience. And the 77th greatest film of all... Just <laughs> yeah, and on IMDb's... <laughs> exactly. So it's one of those things where, like, no one's going and watching Goldeneye now and going and clicking on IMDb and being like, I gotta rate this. You no, know, I gotta change this. It's like they probably did it into make maybe two thousand and one or two, oh, and then yeah. no one has reviewed it since then. These numbers are outlandish. Eighty three percent. Eighty three. Even a seven point two on IMDb is crazy. It's excellent. Um, I, I think one thing. <laughs> that, just tweeted at you. <laughs> <laughs> I think one thing that's really important to, to make note of here is that like we we sound a little bit just like. Uh, we sound a little on our high horse about the nature of this movie, I think, because we we like like to cover smarter movies, and I not even that like we cover stupid action movies too. Yeah. But I don't think either one of us expected as we covered James Bond and we like sort of dove deeper into James Bond that we would come across the realization that James Bond movies are just like really sexist and like not particularly intelligent. Well, it's tough, man, because like we're 29 years old in 2017. And there's a lot of shit going on right now in the world. Yeah, a lot of horrible stuff going on, you know? Go ahead. And so my point is is that like when things like this come up from old movies that we really like yeah. and that we have a strong affection towards, and you go back and you watch it and you realize a lot of things in it maybe aren't that cool and maybe didn't age that well, you got to call attention to it. You can't just brush over it. That's the biggest problem. You no. know what I'm saying? So that's going to lead us nicely into favorite line because uh, – <laughs> The favorite line of mine is when James Bond encounters another woman in this film, Money Penny. And oh my God, I know exactly. Yeah, go and ahead. There's a, there's a moment when he's talking to her, and she says something to him to the effect of, "Well, well, James, that would qualify as sexual harassment." And he looks at her and he says, "And what's the penalty for that?" <laughs> and and I'm look watching. I'm like, um, let me open Twitter real fast. Yeah, getting fired. Um, uh, having your name uh, dragged yeah. through the mud, losing your career, and going to prison if enough women speak up, because that's the state of the world we're in. So when James Bond asks, "What's the consequence for sexual harassment in the workplace?" It's like the worst thing that's ever. I was like watching. I was like, "This is so uncomfortable." Yeah, of course it is, because you're watching with your girlfriend. I like looked over. I like glanced over at her, and I, and I almost wanted to just say to her, "I thought this was funny when I was eight. I don't anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't think this is like, funny. This is yeah, totally." Um, <laughs> And I get it. So that's your favorite line. And mine, mine's actually, mine is just it just because I've been saying this line for almost twenty years. It's called uh, "Who's strangling the cat? Who's strangling cat?" And then he shoots at the pain. <laughs> I just love it because I've just said "Who's strangling the cat?" in a Russian accent almost my entire life. And yeah. I also love that Minnie Driver oh, is yeah. the singer. It's amazing. She was paid five thousand dollars for that role so to funny. sing that, and it was just one of those moments. It just—I think it was part. Of, it was like part of a nostalgic fist pump, and like hearing that line was just so good for me. But the other one, my favorite one, and I always say this to you. Yeah. And it was—is it's not God that gave me this face, James. It was you. Yeah. It's a good the one. time was for three minutes instead of six. And then he says it again later on. He's like, "I'll give you six minutes, the same six you gave me." Yeah. And he's like, "We've got three minutes. We've got three minutes." <laughs> like, but he said six. Yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> Inside joke. The watch, the watch laser, the the belt. Like you remember the watch laser in the game, right? Like burning through the things. I I was going to say is like every single moment, every scene, every backdrop, everything in this movie. I remembered far more from the video game than from the movie. Totally, all of them. Like every every part of it. Every like. Oh, wow, like the shape of that room, and the, there's a door to the left, I'm sure of it. I mean, like, the other thesis that we wanted to say was that this is the 
best movie to video game adaptation ever. Yeah. Um, and it's tough because, like, that's a very bold statement. But, like, going back for our lives, I really truly believe that in the sense of, like, everything from even the lines in the video game were pulled from the lines in the movie and vice versa. And, like, yeah, I don't know that any game has ever better reflected a movie. Um, just be just, and, and what I mean by that is, like, yes, the adaptation was perfect, but also this game was played so heavily that I really think that the legend and the mythos behind this game surpassed the film very significantly. Like, Yeah, absolutely, but then the thing is, you go back and you play the game, and you're like, oh my god, these graphics are horrible, the controls are impossible, yeah. like, I, can, I can't like, aim. I can, like, literally shoot, like, two feet to the left of that guy's head, and the pixelation of his hair going so far out to the side will catch the bullet. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, Alright, so there's a couple AMA questions out there, and one that I wanted to address was that uh, what do you think is the best movie to watch if you've never seen a Bond movie ever? Do you think you go like classic? Do you go like old school Connery? Or do you go, you know, just to pay tribute? Or do you do Daniel um, Craig? Well, I, th- I think probably it just depends who you're talking to. Because mm-hmm. I know, for instance, like William Bibiani, um, who writes for Crave, is a friend of ours. He's talked to me before about Bond movies. Like, he has this real affection for the older Bond movies. Like, he loves Sean Connery, and he has good things to say about those movies. So I think some people feel like the spirit of James Bond is something that is closer to that British kind of campy spy movie thing. Mm-hmm. And that what we like in Casino Royale so much is not as much of a James Bond movie as it's just like a dark drama. And that that's not necessarily what they want out of a Bond movie. So I think it depends who you ask, uh, because... If you watched one, if you watched Casino, which in my opinion would be that would be my suggestion. Yeah, you don't really have very many movies you can go to from there. You kind you can go watch like the other Craig movies, only one of which is good, mm-hmm. and you can you can go back and watch some of the older ones and hope that the the spirit of the characters translated. But they're just so different than the catalog. Like I really think that Casino Royale stands alone as a different kind of movie. Totally, and and for me, even though I I. I love Sean Connery's versions. Those are the ones I grew up watching. And they don't feel as campy as a lot of like the Moore and, and other ones in between, especially not as campy as the Brosnan era. But I do believe that as an audience, we evolve. And yeah. I think that's the same thing why you go and it's like, if I want someone to watch a Batman movie, I'd probably tell them to go watch Batman Begins or Dark Knight yeah. as opposed to Batman and Batman Returns. Yeah. Not that I don't love Batman and Batman Returns. I think they're excellent movies. But yeah. as an audience, we've evolved and developed into this thing like we kind of want something a little darker and a little yeah. more set in reality. And we don't really want kind of cheesy one-liners. We yeah. want like one liners that kind of make you think a little bit and so um while i think that you should go and watch old connery ones yeah. while i think you should definitely revisit goldeneye i think that it's probably best to start at casino royale to kind of get you warmed up yeah for sure i would agree uh who's your favorite bond daniel craig isn't that crazy yeah it's mine too yeah by like a mile brosnan's hair would be answer one <laughs> <laughs> but daniel craig would be my actual favorite bond yeah he's uh He's just awesome. Yeah. He's just so good. And he and he's like, he just looks badass, too. Yeah, he's a good-looking man. One thing I loved about, uh, I recently watched Skyfall again, so we had talked about it on the show a yeah. lot. And somebody had complained about my lack of love for it. And I was on an airplane last week coming back from somewhere. And and um, I was like, I should watch Skyfall. It's free on America, and I can, I can watch it. And I haven't seen it since it came out. And I liked it. I enjoyed it. But I think my single favorite thing about Skyfall is that after after he gets shot at the beginning of the movie and he disappears... He's like, he's like living on this beach drinking, oh. and for like for like three months he's drinking. He's like just just like you know doing shots of the scorpion on his hand, yeah. recovering from a bullet in his shoulder. And <laughs> I love at the end of it, after three months of doing this, he like has sex with some woman who's like he doesn't. It's a Bond movie, You're right? And then he like looks in the mirror and he's still like shredded, oh, shredded, just, just ripped. We, and, we, <laughs> you and I both know what happens when you start drinking incessantly and stop working out for even a week. I was like, if I got <laughs> shot and I couldn't move my arm, so I like pretty much couldn't do anything physical. And I went to hold up in a hotel room in Mexico and I drank an entire bottle of whiskey every day for three months. Probably I'd be dead. Maybe that's how you get in good shape. And if I wasn't dead, I would like gain th- like <laughs> at least thirty 50 pounds. pounds. Yeah. Like, it's like she's like, but that was like my my favorite thing is that that was the exaggeration in a Daniel Craig Bond yeah. whereas like whereas like Pierce Brosnan gets to drift a tank hey man you never <laughs> drifted a tank you don't know how hard I it don't. is I really don't I think this is the perfect perfect segue to get into categories yes it's are, gotta be there are three action movie categories uh, there is totally ridiculous totally legitimate and ridiculously legitimate totally legit movies are like 
The Fugitive and Lone Survivor. They're, they're movies that are held together by drama. You don't really ever laugh unintentionally. They, they feel like real movies. Not yeah. that they're better, they just feel more legit. Totally ridiculous movies like Demolition Man and Face Off Con Air. They're really silly. You pretty much laugh the entire time, and they're great. You're the only reason that that movie makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, last but not least, we have Ridiculously Legitimate. Legitimately Ridiculous. I guess it's just Ridiculously Legitimate. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of right in the middle, where most of it holds together. It's, it's pretty good, but you definitely laugh a few times here and there. There's some parts of it that are like, this is preposterous. But yeah. I'm going to suspend my disbelief and just like it. Predator, I'm, Point Break, movies like that. I'm doing it, man. I'm doing it. The middle category? Totally legit. No, I'm doing it. I'm doing middle category. I know it's crazy. And I know it's. And I know that I'm going to have a lot of, like, a, yeah. a big battle to defend this. But, like, <laughs> it just is for me. It's just the time and the era and Bean and Brosnan and, like, Fomka. It's, like, it's all so absurd. But the fact that it's all so absurd makes it all seem less crazy. You know what I mean? Because it's all operating up here that it all seems like it's a little more chill. Totally. Uh, it's totally ridiculous. It's like you go to a rave and everyone's <laughs> acting wild and you're like, this is kind of normal. I guess. I mean, I just think it's a ridiculous movie. I, just, I, like, I completely agree with you. I found, myself, <laughs> I found myself wanting to apologize to the person I was watching it with because she had never seen a Bond movie before. Yeah. Multiple times throughout the movie. I like felt embarrassed to be watching it a bunch of different times. And we didn't even talk about the whole, like, when he hits Zenya in the back of the head to knock her out. And you're like, I don't even understand. So you didn't feel comfortable making the correct sound because it sounds like your hand's hitting a chair. It doesn't sound like anything. You also right. didn't show it. But you're comfortable having him hit her in the back of the oh, head. Oh, right, because it just shows him like his face. It shows his hand move off screen. And it, 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 there's like a, there's like a, but not like a, what would it would sound like, I think, if the bottom of a metal gun hit the back of someone's skull. Yeah, definitely not, because we've, we've heard what that sounds like a lot in, in film and TV movies. now. Yeah. And they like, it's very clear they wanted to diffuse this moment. There was just moments like that that I was like, this is just so distracting on so many levels. Like, I don't... Couldn't you have just tied her up? Yeah. Or something? And also, like, when she gets pulled down by the helicopter, the fact that her body is what stops the helicopter from, like, pulling away. Yeah. You know what I mean? They both kind of stop and fall down. She's kind of just like... Hick. Right. But that's why it's legitimate. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, guys. Uh, there's just one last thing that to do on the show that this week, and it's called... The Pish! Uh, all right, guys. We don't have a specific choice, but there's a couple things on our on our so radar. So many things that are coming out that it was really hard for us to decide. Yeah. So a couple ideas. Uh, Avengers would be one because you've got the new Thor movie coming out. That's just a classic. We could just choose one of those classic superhero movies. We could choose Iron Man. We don't want to do a Thor movie. We could choose. There's a lot of different ones we could choose. We could choose Mask of Zorro because uh, Kearns <gasps> tweeted it. But yes. I am more interested in the other film Kearns has been talking about, which is Sudden Death. Which I is, I know we almost just did Sudden Death today out of nowhere, and also we were like we probably should have done Halloween movie right but uh yeah, no, sudden did you watch sweet. the trailer of course i watched because the, the trailer looks excellent it's awesome yeah definitely the fact that uh wow, what's his name uh the villain oh uh uh kearns what's his name you're in the chat yeah, uh the, he's the guy from he's the guy from mcgruber powers booth powers booth yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> i kept wanting to call him uh yeah, anyway. yeah powers booth is in there and it the movie just generally looks totally sweet so i think we should watch that and see about that but we're gonna choose a movie if you guys follow along and on twitter at ama podcast you go join the facebook fan page which uh there's like you know grand people now for to talk yeah. about we'll put up a poll and we'll get your guys opinions and we'll choose a great movie we'll announce it by the uh the middle of the weekend so you guys can get on top of it watch the movie you should watch for the show as always thanks for watching thanks for listening you can find me personally at ben bateman media you guys can find me at Andrew Guy on Instagram and Twitter and look for us at AMA Podcast and find those fan groups on Facebook. Yep. Talk to you guys soon. Bye. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Spitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.